Hey, it's good to be with you again this week online. I'm glad that you chose to join us. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I look forward to meeting you. My name's Dan. And uh, hopefully if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter, grab a piece of paper, a pen. I think there's some things worthwhile writing down. Before we kind of jump into what I want to talk about in 1 Peter, I wanted to talk to you about a couple things. First and foremost, really anxious for the opportunity to begin regathering as a church. And so uh, we have been circling the date, June 14th, and uh, we're going to look forward to June 14th. On June 14th and the week following, June 21st, which is Father's Day, we're going to have some family-friendly gatherings. And here's how that's going to look. We're going to have some drive-in services here at the Norton campus. And so we'd love for you to come and take part in those. People will stay in their cars, turn their radio on to a certain station, and then we're gonna have the opportunity to sing together, to hear some things together, uh, maybe to hear some stories together, celebrate together. Uh, the times for those drive-in services are gonna be at eight o'clock. We'll have a traditional service, and then 10.30 and 5.30 we'll have contemporary services. And so we hope you'll come be a part of that. Now, you'll be getting information about RSVPing for those, right? We wanna make sure that we have the right amount of space and parking spaces so that you can enjoy that experience. So you can be watching for that information. Some of you are just simply like, that is not something you feel comfortable with. And so I just wanna make sure you hear me say this, I wanna be clear about this, that our online experience, this experience, we are gonna continue. This is gonna continue. So you'll be able to continue to engage with us throughout. And so those of you who do feel comfortable coming, I look forward to seeing you on June 14th. And uh, for those of you who don't, we'll look forward to engaging in our experience this way. And then kind of before we jump into the conversation, I just wanna take a minute and acknowledge that, that our country's hurting, right? Uh, we're hurting from a pandemic, and then obviously there's been some events uh, that have happened, particularly in Minnesota right now, that have kind of uh, added some salt in the wound, and it's just kind of stirred up a lot of emotions. And so I think it'd be really appropriate, uh, wherever you're watching this at, if you just kind of join me, I just want to take a minute and pray. That's what I want to do. I want to pray for our country that seems to be hurting with a lot of emotions, that seem to be stirred up and ask God if he would just kind of intervene in unique ways. Father, uh, right now our country is going through a really unique time. And uh, I pray that you would give wisdom to leaders, that you would give uh, this calming presence to your church. God, that, that they would be representative of the spirit of Jesus. And I pray particularly for those that are in Minnesota, uh, that they would be ambassadors of peace and hope in the middle of a time where there's a lot of hurt and healing that needs to take place. And then that is kind of spilling out over our country, Lord. And so help us to just be ambassadors of your presence, a calming presence in the middle of kind of chaos, in the middle of hurt, uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to run into that with the Spirit of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you have your Bible open to 1 Peter, and uh, you can turn to chapter 2. We're in this conversation, and it's simply a letter written by Peter, real guy, right? He was a fisherman, became a passionate preacher. He's writing to real people. That's what we talked about. And these real people were scattered through northern Turkey, 
And these real people had some real problems, right? And so he's writing to them about a real hope they can have. And it's this living hope while living here is the theme of 1 Peter. Uh, this last week as we had staff meeting, I asked our staff a question at the beginning just to kind of get the ball rolling. I asked them uh, what the top five movies over the quarantine that they've watched, uh, what they would recommend to the rest of us. And so it was interesting to hear some of their responses. A lot of the gals, I don't want to leave them out, had responses, quite frankly, of movies that didn't seem that interesting to me, right? My secretary, her name is Shirley. Some of you know her. Uh, she mentioned a, a movie that I think my wife would like, right? Return to me. Uh, she mentioned, um, I think uh, Ellen on our custodial team mentioned one called Wonder that she uh, liked. Uh, but I was fascinated with a couple of other of the responses. And so if you're looking for something to do during quarantine, you might want to jump onto this. Uh, our intern, our worship intern, his name is Garrett. You might recognize him. He kind of hosted today. Uh, but he mentioned that his recommendation, he was the first one to respond, would be to watch the entire Lord of the Rings series, right? He is a fanatic when it comes, he thinks he lives in Middle Earth, right? Uh, I check his ears once in a while, make sure they're not pointy, make sure he's not an elf or something, right? But, but Garrett loves Lord of the Rings, and so that's his recommendation. But what I found really interesting was this. I have some other staff members that you, you know them because you've seen them, right? Uh, a couple years ago, we hired a young worship pastor, right? And when I hired this young worship pastor, you might recognize his face. Uh, one of the things we'd say, well, he looks like one of the Jonas brothers, right? And when I hired him and what he knew and loved was music, he played in bands and he knew nothing, nothing about sports, right? We talk about sports, he'd be lost. And it's been amazing to see the transformation because my young looks like the Jonas Brothers worship pastor said that his movie recommendation was The Last Dance. And if you know anything about that, it is all about the Chicago Bulls, right? It's all about basketball. He is my number one basketball fanatic when it comes to the staff. Which made this even more interesting because I have another staff member, you might recognize him, Pastor Adam, when I hired him, He's the kind of guy that could tell you every stat of the Cleveland Cavaliers, right, when I first hired him. And so I was really interested when he said what his recommendation was, because I thought, well, he might agree with Pastor Aiden, who now is a basketball fan, right? But when Pastor Adam made his recommendation, he said, I recommend that you watch a documentary of Get this, the Jonas Brothers, right? I'm thinking to myself, I can't get these guys straight, right? I don't know what you're watching on the quarantine. Uh, these, this is just some recommendations of what my team is watching. But it made me think of a movie that I haven't watched, but I was kind of intrigued with the plot line. The movie is called Unknown, and it was put out in 2006, and it's a little-known movie, I think. But the, the plot or the whole theme of the story is this. There's five people that find themselves kidnapped and they're locked away in a factory, in a warehouse. And they're locked away in this warehouse and when they wake up, none of them know who they are. One of them's tied up. Uh, there's a gun in the middle of the floor. And then they find a dead police officer in the corner and they read a newspaper, and here's what the newspaper tells them. None of them can remember who they are, how they got there. None of them know what's going on. When they read the newspaper, the newspaper article begins to tell them that there's five people that are locked away in this warehouse. Two of them are police officers, and two of them are kidnappers. 
or three of them, I, I, I say, are kidnappers. But none of them know which of them is the police officers or which of them are the actual kidnappers. And they find out that a gang of really bad people are coming to the warehouse. And all of a sudden, these five that wake up and they don't know who they are, guess what? They didn't know what to do because they didn't know, am I the police officer or am I the kidnapper? And it makes me think of 1 Peter because I think what 1 Peter is trying to tell us is this, when we know who we are, we know what to do, right? That our identity, when I know my identity, it drives my behavior. My identity reorders my life. That's why Peter is writing this letter. Peter is writing about a living hope. And here's what he's saying. Living hope is something you can have. You don't have to live for hope, listen close, but you can live from hope. Isn't it true sometimes we live for hope? I just hope that I'm successful. I hope I can make a name for myself. I hope I can make a lot of money. What Peter's letter is all about is <clears throat> that you and I can live from a hope. A hope that we don't earn, we can't achieve, but it's a gift from God. And this hope that we get from God comes because of Jesus. And what we can have because of Jesus is a fresh start, forgiveness of our sins. What we can have because of Jesus is a secure future. We can have heaven as our home. And then we have this new identity, and that's what Peter is talking about. He says, when you know who you are because of this living hope, you'll know what to do. I'm a child of God. I am a living stone in this thing he's building called the church, lined up on Jesus, linked with others, living space for God. I'm part of this royal priesthood, direct access to God. I do the work of God. I declare the truth of God. And it leads us to what Peter wants to tell us today. And there's something fascinating he wants to tell us today. Look at your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look what he says. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you, and this is what he says, as foreigners and exiles. Uh, I love the way some of the other versions put this because they're trying to translate a couple Greek words. The ESV says sojourners and exiles. Uh, the King James, some of you enjoy that, uh, uses the word strangers and pilgrims. The New Living Translation, I like that translation, says temporary residents and foreigners. What in the world is Peter saying? I want you to get this. He's trying to, to help us understand who we are. And these guys are just trying to translate two Greek words. The New Testament was written originally in Greek. The first Greek word is this word. You can pronounce it. Try it. Go ahead and try it. There at your house, right? I'm not going to try it online. But here's this Greek word, right? And it simply means this. It means someone living close to others as a temporary resident. They're a foreigner, they're an alien, they're a sojourner. So it's, it's somebody living in close, close proximity to other people as they're a foreigner. Then there's a second Greek word, right? You can impress your friends, right? Learn to pronounce these. But this second Greek word that they're trying to translate is someone passing through, so I'm not permanent, but they're in close relationship with the locals. That's interesting to me. Here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, I urge you as these temporary residents, you're not citizens. Peter's saying, you and I are not citizens here on this earth. Spiritually speaking, we're not citizens here. Now, he wants us to understand that what we are is we're temporary sojourners. Listen close. He's saying this, we're not tourists. We're not just sightseeing, right? 
Isn't there a difference between a tourist and somebody who actually sets up residence? Uh, when you go somewhere, people are always like, well, you can tell the tourist, right? You can tell the people who are touring, right? They wear funny fanny packs and take funny pictures and always go to the, the rest, chain restaurants while they're away. We're not tourists, right? And, and then we're also not seeking citizenship. He says, what we are is we simply are visitors here, temporary residents with a purpose. I would write it this way. Here's the way I'd write it. I am a temporary resident here. Peter says, when you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. If I know that, then I'm going to know what to do. Peter says, I got to start by saying, this is not my permanent home. If I am a follower of Jesus, this is not my permanent home. I'm here temporarily for a purpose. I have a different leader. I have different values. I have a different purpose. I have different dreams. I have different motivations. Here's what Peter wants you to know. When you and I say yes to Jesus, spiritually speaking, when you say yes to Jesus, I hope you have. I hope you have. When, when you say yes to Jesus, boom, our citizenship changes. Boom, that minute it changes. Paul, another writer in the New Testament, puts it this way in Philippians 3. He says, but we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we eagerly await for his return as our Savior. Paul is simply saying this. The moment we say yes to Jesus, our citizenship changes. I'm not a citizen here. I'm a temporary resident. So what does that mean? If that's who I am, then what does that mean? How does the fact that you and I are temporary residents here play out? Two things. Two things that I simply want us to see. Let's go back to what... First Peter says, he says, dear friends, I urge you, there's our words, as foreigners and exiles, first thing, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. First thing he says is this, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires, they wage war against your soul. What's Peter saying? Peter is saying, as a temporary resident, it's important you know, you live in a war zone. Isn't it true that if you knew that you were living in a war zone, you'd live different? You'd take precaution, right? That Peter wants you and I to know we live in a war zone. Here's the way I want you to write it down, though. He wants us to know I'm at war, but you've got to write the rest of it. I'm at war, but it's not with who you think. Oh, this is so important. If you're a follower of Christ... And if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to really lean in. Because a lot of times when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, they begin to think, maybe this is you, that they're at war with the people in the world who are not Christ followers. There's this us versus them, good guys versus bad guys, right? It's easy to think of people in the world who are not followers of Christ. Well, that must be who we're doing battle with. It's the liberal culture, right? It's the loose media, whatever it is, right? And you know what that leads to? You know what that leads to? It leads to isolation. Not only that, but it leads to fanaticism. You know what else it leads to? It leads to, listen, angry Christians, arrogant religious people, judgmental followers of Christ. 
That's what it leads to. You see, Peter is saying, we're at war, but we're not at war with them. He's saying, we're not at war with the people in our culture. You're not at war with the people in our culture. Well, then who are we at war with? I want you to write this down. Go ahead, write it down. The battle's inside of me. <laughs> the battle, if, if, if we get this, if we can get this, we begin to understand who we're at war with. The battle's inside of me. Peter says, abstain from these sinful fleshly desires. And you know where they exist? In me. Raise your hand if you got selfish desires. If you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying. <laughs> like, I got selfish desires. I got sinful ambitions. I was born with them. I was born with them. You ever been around a little kid? Baby comes into the world, guess what? With selfish desires. You ever been around a baby? They cry, why? They want what they want. And then they become a toddler, right? And I love them. I got a grandson, about a year and a half. He's the coolest thing ever. But guess what? Guess what? Sometimes we have him, guess what? He wants the very thing he can't have. He wants to go the very place I won't let him go. And guess what? When I won't let him go there and won't give him what he wants, guess what? He lets me know that he's got selfish desires. I want what I want when I want it, no matter whether you want me to have it. Guess what happens? That all of a sudden grows up and it kind of shows up and it continues in our life. You see, the fact of the matter is the battle inside of me is the war that we're waging. A guy named Paul, I think, put this to very clear words. This is the way he said it. He said, the trouble's with me. Everybody, wherever you're watching this, even if it's weird, say it out loud. The trouble is with me. Oh, come on. Say it. The trouble is with me. Yeah. Why? Because I'm all too human. You ever feel that? I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Amen, right? For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Can you relate? <laughs> Instead, I do what I hate. I love how real Paul is, right? He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right. I can't. I want to do what's good. I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Is anybody related with Paul? I do, right? That's all he's saying. Peter is saying, abstain, literally, hold yourself back constantly. Now listen, I want, I want to teach you something abstaining from the sinful desires inside of me begins with admitting they're there. I can't abstain, abstain from what I don't admit is present. That inside of me is a minefield of selfish desires. Inside of me is a battle. Inside of you, just so you're not judging me, is a battle. Inside of us is this battle with lust. I was reading uh, recently about a theology Bible professor who was teaching his class. He was 85, 85 years old. And a student raised his hand and had a question for this 
this wise Bible teacher, said, Prof, at what point in life do you stop struggling with lust? <laughs> the old professor said, I'm not sure, but I think it's sometime after 85. What was he saying? He's saying, man, that struggle is there. It's a battle inside. Inside of all of us is this battle of pride. It rares up. You feel it. You, you, you feel it when somebody gets recognized and you don't. Guess what? That pride shows up. Now, all of us have this battle with selfishness. It just shows up. I was meeting with a, a couple and he's like, I'm not selfish. I'm like, okay. I said, well, what would, what would fix your marriage? Well, she would just do what I, want, what I want her to do, right? What's he say? I'm selfish, right? All of us have this battle. Some of us is with materialism. Some of us is with idolatry, whatever it is. You know, we begin to idolize things in our life. The battle isn't just, though, inside of me. Peter says something else interesting I want you to see. He says in chapter 5, so I jumped ahead for a minute. He said, I want you to be alert. Be aware. Your enemy, your enemy, the culture, the neighbor who doesn't have the same values as you, the person who doesn't believe in God. That's not what it says. Your enemy, say these two words out loud, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's he saying? I want you to write it this way. I think what he's saying is, there is a real enemy who's after me, and it happens to be Satan. Guys, listen, if you're a Christ follower, our enemy is not people. It is not non-Christians. That's not the enemy. It's not the people who live beside you who don't have the same values as you. It's not the people, the folks who seem to have no morals that you come into contact with, right? That's not your enemy. Our enemy isn't even people who don't believe in God. It's not the liberal media, Hollywood, whatever you've heard. To assume that was the enemy would be like going into battle, identifying the wrong side as the enemy. Those people are not our enemy. It's so important that we understand that. You see, what Peter is saying is Satan himself is our enemy. He's on the loose. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to devour you. He wants to distract you. We live in enemy territory. We fight with a battlefield inside. So how do those two things come together? Satan's my enemy, and I have these, this thing warring inside of me called my sinful desires. How do those two things come together? Well, Jesus had a half-brother. His name was James. And he said it this way. He says, temptation comes from our own, there we go, desires. So temptation, temptation is not sin, but temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us away and drag us away. That's a trap. It's like bait that drags us and hooks us. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to, give, to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation is simply this. When the enemy uses the already desires that are at war within me as bait to drag me away, the moment I take the bait that I act on it, boom, 
What he's saying is, at least the sinful actions which leads to death. He's using trapping, hunting terms. Uh, my favorite, my absolute favorite trapper in the entire world is Pastor Adam. <laughs> some of you have been watching and the, like some have been asking him about, tra he's trapped seven, seven raccoons over the coronavirus quarantine, right? Seven. He lives in town too, by the way, seven. And I'm like, man, tell me about it. Well, the way it works is this. You got the raccoon. The raccoon, if you know about raccoons, they like getting in your garbage, right? So they like eating the old leftover tuna salad or whatever it might be, right? And so I said, Adam, how do you trap them? Well, he got the trap. And I said, well, what do you do? And so Adam, I'm not saying Adam's Satan. That's not what I'm saying just because he traps raccoons. But Adam, you know what he does? He goes and gets some old rancid like tuna, and he puts it in this trap. Guess what? This raccoon got the desire. I want that, I want that tuna, right? And all of a sudden, he works his way into the trap that was baited with something that's going to feed his desire. Boom! Door comes down. Adam's got another raccoon. <laughs> you see, in a similar fashion, Satan, you know what he does? Satan knows my desires. Don't you think for a minute Satan doesn't know you. He does. And he knows me. He knows my desires. And you know what he does? He sets the bait for what I already am battling inside. And the minute I act and take the bait, sin is born in my life. Some of you are trapped right now. You're trapped. And he is hell-bent on destroying you. That's what Peter's saying. And he knows the desires inside of you. Oh, come on, guys. Let's just be real. He knows these lustful desires that battle inside of you. Why do you think every time you turn the TV on, turn your computer on, look something up on your phone, like, there are images everywhere. He knows. Satan knows that there's these prideful ambitions. Why do you think he sets the bait for people to give you all kinds of applause that feed your ego? Or maybe sets the bait for other people to get applause that only hurts your ego? Satan knows. He knows that there's a battle of selfishness inside of me. Sets the bait. He knows that there's inside of a lot of us this need for more material things, money, whatever. Set the bait. You ever notice? Like, do you ever, do you ever watch commercials on TV? Everybody who buys a brand new car on those things always looks happy. They always look happier than me, right? They're driving a brand new car. He knows. He knows that inside of us, there's these desires. So what's the secret? If we're temporary residents here and we're at war, but it's not with who we think, that there's a battle inside of us and Satan's setting the bait, what's the secret to you and I winning this? Well, let me give you a couple words. I'm not going to tease them completely out. You need to do that in your groups, or you need to do that in your families, or you need to do that with a friend. 
but at least let me get the conversation started. And I think there are two groupings of words that will help us win the battle as temporary residents here with the war that we're in. First is this, write these two words down. The first is this, repent and replace. The place to begin since there is a battle inside of me is to repent. Failure to repent is destined to repeat. And so the place to begin, repentance, is me just turning from my sin. That's what it is. You see, the place to begin with the battle is this. Let me just talk real frank with you. I got to call it out, and I got to call it what it is. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't rationalize it. I can't put excuses around it. I can't minimize it. I just got to call it out. If I don't call it out, if I don't call it out and call it for what it is, then I kind of fall short of what confession really is. You see, part of repentance is confessing, calling it what God calls it. If I want to win this battle inside of me, I got to call it out. I got to call it what it is. But then I got to replace it. I got to replace some of these sinful desires with what? With the goodness of God. How do I do that? I say yes to the leadership of Jesus in my life. A guy named Paul said it this way, and you can write this passage down, look at it on your own. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Weapons we fight with are, are no weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, here's the key, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's how you begin to replace. You see, if you don't replace, if you don't repent, you're destined to repeat. And if you don't replace, you're vulnerable to repeat. I love, you, check me on this. I, I think it's somewhere around Matthew chapter 12, about verse 43, if I'm not mistaken. Check, check me on this, but Jesus is talking about this, this casting out an evil spirit. And he's saying when that evil spirit was cast out of this man, he used the illustration, it was like being cast out of a house. It went and roamed around. But then it came back to that house that it was cast out of. And it found that that house was cleaned up and in order, but it was unoccupied. And so you know what that evil spirit did? Jesus is telling the story. It went and got seven of its buddies and came and took residence in that house. You see, I got to repent and I gotta replace. But here's the deal. If my enemy is Satan, I can't just repent and replace. If my enemy is Satan, I gotta resist and reorder. I gotta resist and reorder. That's what Peter said back in 1 Peter 5. If you read on, he says, your enemy is Satan, resist him standing firm in the faith. That's what he's saying is this. If you're gonna resist Satan, you ought to write these phrases down. I gotta take him serious. He's for real. He's on the prowl. But, but not only do I gotta take him serious, I gotta know his tactics. I gotta scout the enemy. He knows you. I, I think a, a good way to think about it is this. A guy named Paul said this. He says, we don't wanna be unaware of Satan's schemes. He's a liar. Like He will try to feed you with lies. He's a stealer of the truth. He'll want you to hear truth pretty quick. He'll distract you. He'll steal it. He masquerades as an angel of light. He shows up and it looks good. But not only that, I think if I'm going to resist him, I need to submit 
to God. I need to reorder my life. Listen close. This whole idea of my identity being in Christ, listen close, I don't want to mumble on this, isn't just a feel-good theology. Isn't just a way for me to feel good about my self-image. Identity in Christ is so much deeper than that. My identity being in Christ is all about me reordering my life. Me submitting my life to the goodness of God. It's saying no to Satan, saying yes to God. I like the way James put it. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We're at war and it's not with who you think. Battle's inside of me. Satan's the enemy. He's setting the bait. There's a second thing. And I just want to introduce it. I just want to introduce it today. Can I do that? And I want to tease it out next week. Now I beg of you to tune in next week, to come online next week. Because I just want to start the conversation. Because I think if ever, you ready? If ever our culture needs to engage with what Peter is trying to teach next, it's now. In the middle of quarantine, in the middle of kind of emotions that are everywhere in our country, it's now. What Peter says is this in 1 Peter. He says, friends, I urge you, foreigners, exiles, to abstain. We looked at that. But then he says this, live such good lives among the pagans. That's just people who aren't following Jesus. Sounds kind of harsh to say it that way, right? Just people who, who aren't followers of Christ, who aren't acknowledging God in their life, that though they accuse you, they might accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify not you, but God. And the day he visits us. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Let me just start the conversation. He's saying, I'm different. When I have a living hope, I'm different. <laughs> but I want you to write this, this next part down. I'm different, but that don't mean I gotta be weird. C can we just address this? Because I know it's bad grammar. Don't send me the email, right? But, but I wanted to say it that way because there are some people who make it their ambition to, to make following Christ look weird. Like they, they, they have this... Christianese language, you know, they, they say things that's like, what in the world does that mean, right? They post funny things on social media, right? It just looks weird. It just looks weird. I would say the flip side is this, is that to be honest, there are some Christ followers who make following Christ look no different. They don't look any different. What Peter is saying is, I'm different. There's a difference because I have this living hope. Doesn't mean I gotta be weird. What he's saying is because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm a temporary resident here, I'll be different. Now listen, in the essence of my difference is that I have tasted the goodness of God. And the more I feed on the goodness of God, the more that goodness begins to spill from my life. That's what he's saying. I have this different outlook. I have different values. I have a different leader. I have a different security. I have a different motivation. I have a different hope. And he's saying when that goodness begins to spill out, ready? The same world that might accuse you will also admire you in a way that might point them to the God that granted and gifted you a living hope.
And he said, when that world sees that and asks you the question about that hope, he says, be ready to answer. Well, what in the world, what in the world does that goodness look like? How does it show up? I want to tease it out next week. Can I give you a teaser? That goodness shows up, you ready? In the way we respond to authority. Peter's going to talk, he's going to show us that. You see, we respond to authority different. All authority, government authority, in your family authority, at your place of work authority. He's saying that's how it shows up. He's saying it's different. Not only that, but he says we're good citizens who aren't focused, ready? I'm going to talk about this next week, on demanding our rights as much as we are in serving other people's needs. We're different. And this goodness shows up. And it runs against the grain of what a lot of times our culture sees. This goodness is different. You know how it's different? It sees all people different. It sees all people different. It sees all people through the lens of God's story. That all people are seen through the lens of creation. We're all made in the image of God. That at the cross, God knocks down every wall that divides. Sees all people different. And this goodness shows up in this unique love that we have for each other. You see, here's what Peter wants you and I to know. Is that when I know that I'm a temporary resident here, I'm different. I'm not the same, just blend in. If you're somebody like, you know, the people I work, they don't even know that I follow Christ. Something might be wrong. They don't even know that I love Jesus. Something might be wrong. I'm different. Respond different. But I'm not weird. Being different isn't like, I have the bumper sticker, wear the t-shirt, and I use all this language no one understands. I exude the goodness of God. You know why? Because I've tasted the goodness of God. And the more I grow up in that goodness, the more it begins to spill out of me. Guys, next week is such an important conversation. I want you to tune in. I want you to watch. Because I think what Peter has to say to us, he literally could come right now, 2020, sit in front of this camera and have this conversation. Next week, I can't wait to have it with you. Father, I love you. I thank you for the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is our Savior. And I thank you that because of that, we have a living hope while living here. God, some of us are watching this, and there's a battle inside of us, and Satan has set a pretty good bait. And some of us are trapped, and I pray this maybe would be our opportunity to repent and then begin to replace so that we can resist and begin to reorder our life around you. Father, I pray some of us, quite frankly, we've been preoccupied with being weird and we're not making a difference. And others of us, we just want to blend in and we're not making a difference. God, I pray that we would be different difference makers. 
the way we respond. God, I pray for those who might be watching this who have never said yes to Jesus. I beg and plea and pray that today might be the day they just say, God, I believe you love me. Jesus died for me. And today I want to say yes to Jesus as my Savior. I love you, Lord. I'm so grateful that you love me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.